I think the last thing you'd expect walking into a town like this is to see a statue of your grandmother. And it's definitely my grandmother. Same sharp eyes, soft features, prosthetic leg carved in the shape of a dragon, long hair down to the back. There's also the fact that there's a plaque at her feet that says, Soraya Aleskis in a giant all-cap serif font. It's unmistakably her. There was an inscription on the plaque under her name, and I think this is the part that confuses me the most. Because it doesn't fit in with what I knew about her and the things she told me at all. Listen to this. In honor of Soraya Nina Barocal Ileskis, who saved a great many lives and is the only reason Hartville is still extant today. She saved this place. Why would she do that? She always, always said that civilization was trouble. Settlements couldn't be trusted. And stuff like, Civilization is the folly of man, for under its gross and ponderous weight, the world collapsed beneath us and cast us unto whenceforth we came. I think that might have been poetry, but it's hard to tell. The point is, Grandma hated places like this. The ruins of the civilization that brought about the apocalypse, and the people who take up residence here too. I can't wrap my mind around why she'd be here in the first place, much less why she'd same reason as me, maybe. I think I'll be staying in Hartville for a little while longer, just to ask around. I decided to check out the local library first, on the off chance that it was still intact and everyone actually stored written records there. And even if they didn't, it's not a huge loss. Libraries, I think, are the one good thing civilization ever did. I left my cart on the outskirts and let the dogs loose to run around and explore, and then I headed back to the heart of town. It took a little bit of wandering, but I found the library eventually, barely identifiable by the peeling, weather-worn Hartville Municipal Library sign starting to fall off the face of the building, and also by the propped-up wooden sign that just had library carved into it with a knife. There wasn't anyone around, so I tried the door. It wasn't locked. It was a pleasant surprise, because that meant I didn't have to spend any time lockpicking it or breaking in through another entrance. But it was also just a surprise, because why would anyone leave a library unattended and unlocked? Not that I was complaining. Any opportunity to take some books is always a welcome one, in my opinion. And let me tell you, the place was a treasure trove. It was cluttered, dark, and disorganized. Stacks of books were piled everywhere, papers were scattered, and some inexplicable knickknacks had been knocked around. But despite all that, the books were beautifully preserved. They were old, sure, and the paper was getting thin and fragile, but I didn't see a single book that had been damaged by the weather. I even passed a table where a book was in the middle of getting a new binding. Whoever claimed this library was a good person, I decided right there. Even if they were living in the middle of town, I got distracted, wandering the dark and alluring annals of the library. Libraries have that sort of timeless, enchanting quality to them that makes it hard to remember what you were doing before you came in. So it was a few more hours before I finally found what I came there for. A door with a piece of paper nailed to it that said, Records After the Apocalypse, in thin, spindly writing. This door was locked, and I couldn't find any other entrances. 
so I took out my machete to hack at the hinges. I'd only gotten a couple swings in before some guy ran up to me, shouting, Stop! Stop! What are you doing? He had a baseball bat in his hands, so I paused my chopping just in case he attacked. I'm trying to get into the records, I said. Why? I can see that, he said. But you didn't have to damage the building to do that. There are loose-leaf papers in there, I keep the door locked to make sure they don't get lost or damaged. If you need something in there, just ask, and I'll get it for you. So, this was probably the person who kept the library in shape. He had warm eyes and a friendly sort of air about him, and he was wearing overalls, like he'd come straight from a farm or something. He seemed nice enough. I put away my machete. I'm looking for information about Soraya Aleskis, I told him. He laughed. You could have asked anyone in town and they would have been able to tell you that story, he said. Sit down, I'll tell you what happened. The records don't really do it justice. And he told me what happened. Grandma was a student when the apocalypse happened. She was studying to be a doctor and knew a lot of biology and chemistry. She hadn't been officially certified yet, but she'd told me before that she'd only been a couple months away from presenting her master's thesis and getting her PhD. Before she died, she insisted on teaching me almost everything she knew and remembered from school. But since it was only us traveling together, she never could teach me how to treat illnesses unless it was one of us who got sick. It never really occurred to me that she might have used her skills for anything else, though. The citizens of Hartville didn't know any of this. They only knew that, a few years after the apocalypse, some illness started spreading in the town. It was winter, and nothing was growing. They only had the food they'd harvested in the fall to sustain them until the growing season came again. One by one, everyone fell ill, and the number of people who could take care of them dwindled. People started dying. Some of those who were still healthy fled, choosing to take their chances out in the wilds rather than risk dying among the sick. Grandma showed up then. She had a few companions with her, and apparently all of them had come looking for new supplies, or maybe even a place to stay for the winter. The people who were still healthy warned her that almost everyone in the town who was still alive were ill, and that they couldn't afford to give away any more resources. They asked her to leave. But apparently, as soon as she heard they were sick, she rolled up her sleeves and got to work. She figured out what the disease was, and treated it as best she could without all the resources we'd had before the apocalypse. People still died. But the important part is that, with her help, people also lived. Grandma and her friends stayed in Hartville until everyone who would get better got better, and then she stayed a while longer replenishing her supplies. But she left in the summer, and the town never got to see her again. The statue was made by a former artist whose studio was still mostly intact, and it's remained standing since as a memorial for the people who died, as well as a way to honor Grandma for saving the people she did. Hell of a way to show gratitude to someone who never came back. We always try and welcome new travelers, and show them the same kindness that Soraya did to us, the man said. Just a month or two ago, in fact, there was a man who took up residence here. David Wilkerson, I think? His home was destroyed, so we've been helping him settle in here. Him and that strange bunch of contraptions he's brought with him. Wasn't that the name of the scientist that the stranger was chasing after? I frowned. What contraptions? I asked. The man laughed and shrugged. We don't actually know. He says it's for his research, but it all sounds very complicated and goes right over my head. 
I may be a librarian, but I'm afraid I haven't been able to teach myself enough to keep up with him. I wonder how he was able to learn everything he did before he came here. Then he added, You know, two other people came into town today, too. Khalil and Issa, I believe? Maybe you could go meet them, too. If you need anything, the town hall is only about 15 minutes walk away. I thanked him for all his help and excused myself quickly. He waved goodbye cheerily and settled down behind one of the desks with a book in his hand. So the scientist is here. And his research, or whatever, the thing that destroyed Ashtown and ruined the stranger's life, it's here. And the scientist has been working on it for, what, a month now? I don't feel good about this. It's not really any of my business. Maybe he managed to fix whatever it was that so spectacularly blew Ashtown up. And maybe he won't blow this town in his library to smithereens. Maybe if I told the townspeople here what happened, I won't be doing anything but ruining the scientist's attempts at rebuilding his life. The smart thing to do would be to leave. I don't know, though. The stranger and Issa are still here, and... I don't know if they'll be okay. I think I'm going to head to Town Hall and see what else is here. There were a couple people at Town Hall, cooking up and storing away parts of the summer harvest. They were... friendly. They welcomed me into town, made some conversation, and when they found out that I was thinking about stocking up on supplies, they told me that they'd help me out if I helped them store away the harvest. It was... The most casual, friendly trading exchange I've ever had, I think. It was kind of unsettling. But I took them up on the offer, and besides, it was a good opportunity to get more information. They confirmed everything that the man in the library said about Grandma. Of course, it's been passed down for like seven generations now, so who knows how accurate it is? One of them laughed. There it is again, a discrepancy in time. Grandma was... I mean, she's only three generations away, max, and they're acting like she's a long-ago thing. Two centuries, to be more precise. I don't really know what's going on, because I know that the world I'm living in is one that's only about 80 years after the apocalypse happened. But never mind that. I learned more from them. The scientist, when he moved in, chose a house near the city's power supply, he made some modifications to it so that it produced and stored more electricity, apparently. At least that's what he told them. He also says he's been storing up power to use for a new experiment. They were a bit uneasy about so much power being used at once, but assured me that the scientists said everything should be perfectly safe. We finished putting away all the food. The two people I'd been working with asked what supplies I needed. I named some medical supplies and hopefully more ammunition for my guns, if they had any, and they ran off to see what they could find, telling me to stay put. While I was waiting here though, the girl showed up, Issa. She was still limping, but someone had given her a crutch to use during the time she'd been here, and she made it up the town steps with surprising agility. There was a frown on her lips, a stormy look in her dark eyes, and something terribly fierce about her countenance, like an eagle on the hunt, or a warrior queen. When she saw me standing by the wall, her frown deepened, and she limped over to me with determined purpose in her stride. So, you're still here, she said. I thought you said you were leaving. There was something I needed to check, I said simply. I didn't want to share Grandma's story with her even as she might have heard it already from the townspeople. 
It was something personal, private. I was still trying to reconcile the image of Grandma, the doctor, with Grandma, the one who taught me and raised me and warned me away from cities entirely. Hmm, said Isa. Well, I guess it's a good thing you're here. Remember the scientist who's been causing all sorts of trouble for Khalil? He's here, and apparently he's been working non-stop on his experiments or whatever for the past few days. I haven't seen Khalil since this morning, but he must know by now, what with this town being so small. I'm worried. I nodded, checked myself, and said, He's not your responsibility, and neither is the scientist. I think it's my business if the scientist is going to get another town killed, she said sharply. And I'm worried about Khalil. Don't you care at all? Why should I care? I returned in just as sharp a tone. Caring doesn't help anyone do anything. She narrowed her eyes and opened her mouth to say something, but I felt somehow too sharp and tense to listen to whatever she had to say, and Grandma's story was still rattling around in my skull. Everything was off-kilter and I didn't have the patience to sit through whatever criticism she had to deal out. I'm waiting on some supplies, I said. When I get them, we can go. I heard from the people here earlier where the scientist is. We can take the cart. She looked surprised, and then thoughtful, and she didn't say anything snarky or rude the entire time while I received my medical supplies from the townspeople. She didn't even say anything on the way to the cart, and only watched thoughtfully as I coaxed the dogs into their harnesses and got the cart ready to go. Do you like Khalil? She asked me as I directed the dogs to take us to the city's power supply. Who would like him? He's annoying, and the only thing you can use guns for is shooting people, I said irritably. But you carted him to three different cities, at least, and rescued him from the mob in Cinder, she pointed out. You didn't have to go to all that effort. God knows why I did, I muttered. But she didn't rise to the barbed comment. She just watched me, waiting, expecting an answer. I almost didn't give her one, but... I don't know. Maybe it was just something about today. I sighed. He was right in front of me and he needed help, I said finally. And I guess he's okay. He's not a bad person. She raised her eyebrows. So, are you like... interested in him? I snorted. Maybe if he was the opposite gender. Oh, she said. Then, me too. The silence as we hurried on to the power supply was easier after that. We didn't need to make it all the way there, though. Just as it became visible down the street, we saw the stranger arguing with a shorter blonde man on the sidewalk. You can't try this again, the stranger was shouting. It's madness! Didn't you see the consequences of what happened before? You can't risk it! Last time was an accident, said the man testily. I miscalculated but I've redone all the calculations, adjusted the variables, run a few more tests. This time it'll work, and nothing will happen to this town. Everything will be better. How? The stranger demanded. What are you even trying to do? I'm going to restore the world, the man said. And then, before the stranger could say anything in return, he raised some sort of device in his hand and pressed a button. For a long moment, nothing happened. Next to me, Isa was tense, eyes fixed on the scene straight ahead. Even I was holding my breath. And then the world exploded. 
not with heat and sound and fire, but with a great and echoing shatter. The sky cracked, the air tore itself apart, and something horrible and filled with void bloomed in the distance. What? That's impossible! I heard the scientist shout. I took all the variables into account. Everything was perfect! The shockwave hit. Windows shattered. The stones of nearby buildings dissolved under the force of the wind. The dogs howled and barked and turned to flee. Isa was shouting something at me and half rose out of her seat. And then a second shockwave hit, a pulse stronger than before, and everything went black. When my sight came back, the stranger and the scientist had both been thrown down the street among the rubble. The dogs were panicking and whining, chewing at their harnesses. Shh, shh, it's okay, I told them. And next to me, Isa was crumpled to the ground and unconscious, blood trickling from her head. I pushed my cart upright. Somehow, it had held up under the pressure of the shockwave. I soothed the dogs as best I could. Kacha was bleeding from her eyes and ears, so I unbuckled her from the harness and placed her gently in the cart to rest. The town looked devastated. There was a frisson of wrongness in the air, and by the power supply, a horribly familiar gray light was pulsing and ever gaining in strength. We needed to get out of there. So I grabbed Issa and Khalil and I hauled them into the cart. I hesitated when it came to the scientist, though. Should I try and save him? Should I not? But then the light behind me pulsed violently with a horrible cracking noise, and the air filled with the scent of ozone. I couldn't stay here any longer. I clicked my tongue, and the dogs took off like a shot. We left the town in record time. I managed to give everyone emergency treatment, but I need more supplies to properly help them out. Luckily for us, I think I know where to go. When Persephone Woke is written and produced by Jessica Tang and voiced by Ali Rones. Music was composed by the artists Disparition and Transient and used under the Creative Commons license. Visit disparition.info and noisyvagabond.wordpress.com to learn more about their work. If you enjoyed this project, please consider leaving a review or commenting at whenperceffanywoke.weebly.com. Thank you for listening.